want to start this morning with a little show and tell. Anybody like show and tell? Anybody know what this is? It's part of a piano. Yes, that is correct. I have some black and white keys and these little things that go with it. And then this is some kind of bed that the, uh, that the keys sit on. I think that's correct. What's it called? A tuning bed. Thank you. I've learned something today. But let me tell you a story about this, uh, this piano. I'll show you a picture of it on screen. This is this piano. It now sits in my garage, which you know what does not sit in my garage, my, my van, <laughs> which early, early this morning I did not appreciate the fact that it sat in my driveway and not in my garage. But let me tell you a story about this particular piano. This was my wife Kim's grandmother's piano. It was passed down to us. At one time, Kim played on this piano at her grandmother's house, and, and her grandmother, you know, it was, it was used regularly, and beautiful music came from that piano. So when she went to be with the Lord, and uh, we, we inherited that piano, and it, it sat in our front room, and for a few years, played it. It got out of tune a little bit. We even, my, my father-in-law and I actually ordered something and, and fixed it, tried to fix it for a minute. But then as the years went by, that piano got less and less use. It was no longer an instrument that produced beautiful music. It was more like an antique shelf that, that kind of held memorabilia. That's what it became. And eventually it got to the point where it was, we really don't need this anymore. It really is, takes up space. It's kind of awkward. It's really hard to paint around. One of the things I discovered or my wife discovered when we moved the piano was that whoever was painting back there didn't do an especially thorough job. But eventually, that piano made it out to the garage. And with the subtlety of a sledgehammer and a standard screwdriver, because it's really old, been taking that piano apart. I hoped to, to repurpose some of the wood, maybe build some nice shelves. Maybe it will be something that will be a, uh, a memory that we can share. But one day, those shelves probably won't mean anything to anybody. Now, why, oh, why would I talk about this piano this morning? Well, as we look out in our world today... For many people, when they think about the faith that they've been brought up with, they are in the process of dismantling their faith. So their faith is kind of like this, this piano. And if you, if you pay attention to, like for instance, there's something called the Barna Research Group where they, they do all these surveys and they, they try to look at the landscape of, of what's happening in the world. They say about 25% are deconstructing, which means in some ways they're taking apart their piano of faith at some level. 
And that could range from just some significant questioning of what they were brought up with to just getting rid of the whole thing. We can look at some other data that can be discouraging. We know, for instance, according to some surveys, uh, you know, when you check the box on what religion you are, there's a box called none. And a, a lot of folks have made a big deal about the rise of the nuns. I won't make any bad jokes here. But those who claim no religious affiliation, that number in America is about 30% right now. It's about 30%. There's fewer people in church, or there's more people not in church than in church today for the first time in like 80 years. 40% of Gen Zs, that's like 11 to 26, are classified as nuns. So on one level, that's discouraging. Some of you look out here today, you've got people in your circle. I have people in my circle who are somewhere in these categories. My guess is you do too. And they may be very close to you. They may be friends. They may be coworkers, whatever the case. But there are some signs that are discouraging. But at the same time, and this is what has surprised me a little bit as I've dug into the research over the last uh, several months, is when it comes to openness to spirituality. I don't mean like follow Jesus, the Bible is true, not there yet, but openness to spirituality. Questions like, would like to grow spiritually, are certain or think a spiritual supernatural dimension exists, believe in God or a higher power? Latest research says it's at least three out of four would say yes to some of those. Okay? So there's an openness to spirituality. In fact, and this really surprised me a little bit, 44% are more open to God now than before the pandemic. 60% of those same Gen Zers are more open to God now than before the pandemic. So as I look out at that and I say, okay, how as a church, how can we step into this cultural moment where there are things that are both alarming and discouraging, but yet there's an openness and an opportunity for us. And may we be found faithful as a church as we share the love of Jesus today. The good news is we have the good news. We have the Gospels, and we have a particular Gospel, the Gospel of Luke, and in these opening verses, we're going to get the opportunity to look at really the introduction to this Gospel that that sets up some of the big questions of purpose and process. So I'm going to read these opening verses, and then we'll dive in and see what the Lord has for us today. I want to take you to Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Luke says this, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. 
just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first, were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Would you pray with me? Father, as we enter into your word this morning, we simply want to say thank you for the gift that it is. Thankful that it's true. Thankful that it is relevant to each one of us today. And Lord, wherever we sit today, whether we ourselves have significant questions about the foundations of our faith, whether the circumstances of our lives have caused us great challenge and great pain, whether we have those in our lives with whom we have influence who are struggling, whatever the case may be, Lord, be our teacher this morning. Father, I pray that my words are clear, that they're true, that they're helpful, and above all, that they bring you glory and honor. Ask that you burn off whatever doesn't do those things. And again, Holy Spirit, we invite you to be our teacher this morning. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I want to dig into these verses here that you may not have heard a sermon series about. A lot of times we want to skip this part and just get to Jesus and the teaching and all that kind of stuff, and we'll have plenty of time in the future to get to that. But I want to slow down on these opening verses and I believe give us some helpful instruction. First of all, let's talk about Luke's purpose. Luke's purpose. Why does Luke write this stuff? First of all, um, some of you have like been around church forever and you've, you've read the Gospels multiple times and uh, you know that Luke is one of the synoptic gospels, and you're, you're a scholar, and you got all that kind of stuff. Others of you have no idea what I just said, and that's okay. I'm really glad that you're here. Now, as we dive in, let's, let's understand, first of all, who Luke was. All right, Luke was a physician. Luke was a Gentile, which means he was a non-Jew. And Luke was a companion of the apostle Paul. He was not one of the 12. He was not a disciple. He came a little bit later, but he was side by side with Paul and the others as they shared the gospel and planted churches in the first century. Luke, Dr. Luke, is writing to most excellent Theophilus. Okay, Bible commentaries over the years have had a field day with coming up with different theories about who Theophilus would be. I don't think there's a definitive answer. I would tend to lean with uh, some of the commentators who say he's probably a real person, but he's probably representative of kind of a middle-class follower of Jesus. So both a real person and representative of a whole. So let's dig into the purpose here. Why is Luke writing? 
Well, the tail end of verse 3, he says, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. First of all, that you would know something. Believe it or not, you can actually know some things about Jesus. I love this word, know. We'll see it in different places in Luke's gospel. A couple poignant examples. If you go to the end of Luke, Luke 24, 15, Jesus is on this road to Emmaus, and he is walking with a couple disciples, and he's explaining some things about himself, and it's a, it's a beautiful story, but he says this, or Luke says this, and they, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. This word re- that translated recognize is that same word know. So they went from not seeing him, not knowing him, not recognizing who Jesus was. This is after the resurrection. And then a few verses later, when he was at the table with them, he took bread gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the Scriptures to us? So there is a process from not recognizing to recognizing Jesus that we can know, we can experience. That's one important part of this purpose. The other is that you would know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Certainty. A couple weeks, we're going to dive into this a little bit more, but I want you to think about certainty for just a moment. This word certainty carries with it some other meanings. It also has to do with security and safety, the certainty of what you believe. Yesterday in this room, one of our dear brothers, we celebrated his life because a week ago, about 8 o'clock, he went to be with the Lord, Gary Throckmorton was up here on our worship choir Christmas Eve. Pastor Brad and I, we were there with the family a week ago at St. Francis in the ER with the family, with Gary there. Yesterday, lots of tears in this room, but also lots of joy and celebration of the hope that we have in Jesus because Jesus died on the cross, paid the penalty for our sins, and rose and will return. There is a certainty, there is a safety that says even when at 60 years old life is taken like that suddenly, we can still have safety and security. I can look out and see our dear brother Dwight in this afternoon. We're going to celebrate the life of his dear wife, Lois, who's now with the Lord. 
There is a safety and security. Long battle with, with Alzheimer's. I'm just, just hard things. Life is hard. But there is a safety and a security in the presence of the Lord. That he is with us now and he promises an eternity with him. So this is not simply just a kind of a probability thing. Maybe I'll put my money here. But there is a safety and a security and a hope that is real in the most challenging times. Amen? That's what Luke's talking about. There is a, so Luke's going to say, I'm going to write these things so you might have some certainty, some safety, some security in what you believe in a world of, that is a sea of uncertainty, we can have this foundation of certainty. So there is a purpose. There is also a process that Luke will go through. He says this again, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. There's a process that the good Dr. Luke is going to go through. Now, the Bible did not come to us with gold plates, with gold edges on the pages, with red letters of the words of Jesus. It did not come out of heaven like that. Are you aware that that's historical fact? It didn't come to us that way. Some people, they, they, they hear that and they, they dig into the process and they say, well, wow, Luke, Luke went out and he interviewed people and he, 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 he talked to the eyewitnesses and he carefully investigated. And then with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote it down in an order that makes sense. His eyes did not roll back in his head, and he lost all his personality and intellectual faculty, and then he just dictated the words. It did not happen that way. How do we know that? Because it tells us right here. Now, some people hear that, and they're like, oh my goodness, I, I, I don't have any confidence in, in the word. And I'm like, for me, it gives me more confidence that, that Jesus, that that. God inspired Luke to use human processes to put the word together. He meets us in the middle of our mess. And for me, that gives me more confidence, not less confidence. So if I send my kids off to college and they sit in an intro to the New Testament and the professor talks about how the Bible was put together, have no fear. All truth is God's truth. There's a history of how things were put together that we need not fear. God somehow, in a way that we cannot fully understand, uses people, works through people, imperfect people, to produce the perfect word of God. And that should increase our confidence, not decrease it. You can get there the long way or the short way. I can help you with either one. We don't have time right now. But there is a process that Luke goes through. 
Now, he talks about that which has been passed down to him. It has been handed down. I want to drill down on that particular word for just a moment. That concept of that which has been handed down, that which has been delivered, that which has been passed down to us. Let me take you to 1 Corinthians 15. Wonderful chapter. The Apostle Paul, he's going to write about the resurrection. And he says this. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, and here's our word, I passed on to you as of first importance. First importance, priority, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, and then to the twelve, and that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. What he's saying here, if you don't believe me, go ask them though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. This is the apostle Paul. So what has been passed down to Paul is the essential belief that we have. Now, we live in a world where people want to fight about all kinds of secondary things and tertiary things and All that, and those things are important. But what Paul's saying is of first importance. This, Jesus, died on the cross, rose from the dead, appeared. Friends, may we focus on the essentials. May we think from the inside out. May we start here, be solid on this, and then work our way out. There's a process that Luke has undergone There's a process of passing down and passing on that he gives us a framework for. Now, as you think about this purpose and this process, and we'll dive in a little bit more in some coming weeks, but now I want to give you some practices, some practices, some some things we can actually do in this uh, in this day and age, I want to give you four of them. And they're just like simple and, um, and I think practical. The first is this. Make an honest effort to understand what has been passed down to you. Make an honest effort to understand that. What's been passed down to you? Talking to a dear brother last week, uh, and he was, I won't, I won't embarrass him by name, but I was talking to him and he said, you know, um, when I was a kid, I wanted to watch one of my favorite baseball players pitch on Sunday, Bob Feller. But he said, 
In our house on Sunday, you weren't allowed to watch sports. Dad said, hey, go to the pastor. See, it's the pastor. I said, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's the Sabbath. You cannot do that. Now, he said two years later, they were all watching the Super Bowl together. <laughs> but there was a particular set of rules and regulations that was passed down to him. Some of you, maybe you grew up in that kind of thing. Okay, maybe that's you. Talked to another friend who was tuning into our service uh, several weeks ago and said, I have no idea what you all are talking about. This is over, this is completely, I, I have no idea what you all are talking about. I don't have any frame of reference. Maybe you're somewhere in between the ends of that continuum. You know, I think of my own, I, I remember growing up in Greenwood, going off to college, and really, um, really getting into literature. If you just said, you're going to be an English major when you go off to college, I said, you've got to be kidding me. And I had a particular interest in African-American literature. And there was a striking, there was a moment in time for me when I read the narrative of Frederick Douglass, which talked about how he grew up in the South, obviously in the South, and how the worst slave owners were his Christian masters because they had biblical justification for slavery. I had no idea about any of this stuff. But then I read in his kind of ending of the book, and he says this. He says, you know what? He says, I hate the Christianity of the South, but I love the Christianity of Christ. Amen. Amen. Yeah, he would would say, okay, this was passed down. No, 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 I'm going to go to the Bible and find the real stuff. Ken is, you know, I think of, you know, tomorrow, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and I, I, I always go back to letter from Birmingham jail, and King looks out at, at, at the culture and he looks out at the church and he said, you know, the, the, mod, the, the early church, Paul's church, all that, Luke's church was like a thermometer, or I'm sorry, like a thermostat. You adjust the thermostat and the environment changes. He said, the modern church is more like a thermometer. It just records the culture around. And that challenge, I mean, it's like a 50-some-year-old challenge but I think it's still with us today in lots of ways. But as, as you look at what's been passed down to you, as I look, as we look, and we say, all right, let's, let's have an honest look at that. And let's have some grace in that too. Sometimes memories do funny things with us, and sometimes we, we make them bigger than they were, or we minimize them, or we stuff them, or whatever. But let's, let's just have an honest Look at what we were brought up with. You know, I'm old enough to know that, you know what, I've made some mistakes as a parent. I'm probably the only one in this room. (laughs) There are probably some things I did along the way or didn't do that I'm like, you know what, if I had to do over again, I would do that a lot differently. Some things we did back in the day were just kind of weird and maybe off. Okay, let's have a conversation about that. All right? But... The first thing is let's, um, you know, let's make an honest effort to understand it. Not, you don't have to judge it all, 
But just get it out there and let's understand it. The second thing, get to know Jesus better through reading the Gospels with conversation and curiosity. We have access to everything in this day and age, right? Spiritual content is no longer a scarce commodity. You can get any sermon you want. You can get any commentary you want. Whatever theological bent you have, you can find it. You can look at the Greek. You can look at all kinds of tools of analysis. Great. There is no replacement for sitting down, opening your Bible or turning on your Bible, and actually reading for yourself the Gospels. Amen? And then talk with somebody about that. Jesus is the most engaging person of all time. We, we, we can't just put him in a box. Yes, he gives us principles. He gives us, but the person of Jesus is absolutely fascinating. Let's get to know him better. Third, do fun things where you can have conversations with people who love Jesus, people who are questioning their beliefs with Jesus, and people who don't really know Jesus. Three categories of folks. People who love Jesus, people who have questions, people who are walking away. We don't have to beat people over the head. Let's start with doing something fun together. That's going to have some conversation. Maybe not just watching a movie, maybe playing some games, maybe sharing a meal together. Everybody in this room has people in those circles. May this be a year, may this be a season where we say, you know what? My first step, I'm going to invite somebody over for dinner. We're going, to, we're going to play some games. We don't have to make it super heavy, but we're going to invite people in. And then finally, pray for your love for Jesus and for others to grow. Pray for your love for Jesus and for others to grow. So there's a heart that says, I love you too much not to share Jesus with you. I love you too much to entertain the possibility that you'll be separated with God forever. May our love grow. Now, I want to go back to that, uh, that piano for just a moment. And um, in my own house, we, we moved the piano out into the garage. Thank you, Jesus. I didn't hurt myself in the process. It's good to have a strong son-in-law who can help. But we put something in its place. Now, we could have done a lot of things. We could have fixed the piano. We could have done a lot of things. All, all good. But we decided to do... Uh, do this, and I'll show you this picture. We put a keyboard in there, and there are my granddaughters. And what are they doing? They are playing. It ain't beautiful music yet, but it really is. Because when we think about what's been passed down, 
What's been passed down to us is the beautiful music of Jesus. The beautiful music of the gospel. And may we be a people that that's what we pass on. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. And we say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your word. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the beautiful music of the gospel, the good news. Lord, and as we sit in this place together, some as they look back, they've got, they've got pain they've got to work through, they've got questions. Be near. Some, Lord, have a particular burden. Maybe it's for a child. Maybe it's a grandchild. Maybe it's a friend who's just really struggling right now. Be near. Give us what we need today. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As we come to the communion table this morning, I'm going to give you another example of passing on. The Apostle Paul says this, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I want to invite you, after I pray, to come to the table. And here at Community Church, if you've taken a step of faith, the table's open. You can be in a dark spot. You can say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. But as a family, we come as brothers and sisters to the table. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll open up the table, and you can take the elements back to your seat and receive when you're ready. Father, again, we come to you, and we say thank you. Thank you for the bread. Thank you for the cup. Thank you for that which has been passed on now as we examine our hearts and we receive be near to us it is in Jesus name we pray amen come now when you're ready the table is open to receive